I'm Joe Beachboard. And I'm Dr. Dennis Davis. And this is Workplace Strategies Update. Dennis, how are you? Hey, Joe, what's going on, man? Ah, you know, uh, feeling good. Got my uh, second shot. Ah, this second vaccine. Very, very second, good. Any, yeah. any side effects? Um, you know, I was a little tired. I had the Moderna. Okay. And I uh, was a little tired, a little tired. But okay. uh, you got yours about two weeks ago, right? I got mine two weeks ago yesterday. You were the one-shot guy. I was Johnson & Johnson. One-shot guy. Well, uh, hopefully things are beginning to move more quickly across the country and all of uh, the various markets and with you and and yours. And uh, boy, you know, by the time we get down to Austin, it'll be interesting to see where the numbers are in Absolutely. terms of the population. It Keep our fingers could crossed. be very large. But as a reminder, uh, even though we're seeing a lot of progress with the vaccinations and we're seeing the numbers decline mm -hmm. in most markets, uh, we are going to still be sticking to the safety protocols that we instituted back when we scheduled the program. Six feet. That's right. Six feet social distancing. Uh, we are also keeping the audience capped at only 350 people to make sure that we can maintain that. Uh, we will have mask rules in place and everything else that the CDC suggests that we need to do. Absolutely. You could be one of the 350. Yeah. Yeah. We only have a few seats left, though. So uh, if you're interested in attending in person and you haven't already signed up, please uh, do so as soon as possible. Of course, there's always the virtual option as uh, as well. You look very dapper today. You Thank look, you, Joe. You Thank look, you, Joe. I, I like that with the, the, the pocket. Trying to clean the place up a little bit. I guess so. Well, that's not... <laughs> I'm glad that you that you're that you're doing that. Well, we got a great program today. We absolutely do. Yeah, uh, I've got a I've got some news. I promised it last week, ooh. and I've got that news now about uh, the workplace strategies charity. You're gonna tell us now? Ah, uh, no, I'm gonna tell them in a few minutes. Of course, but of course. Gonna keep them waiting just a second. All right. Well, we have a special guest today. Uh, our special guest is labor lawyer Ruthie Goodbow, and of course, we're gonna wrap up with our what you drinking i have my bottle of wine and i have the winning bottle well uh maybe this week <laughs> maybe this week you know uh all was right again you know truth and justice returned to the podcast and uh and, Starting to and, wonder about and you success was uh was on the right side on the right side this time so we'll talk more about that, though, a little. A yes, little, we will. A little bit, uh, a little bit later. Um, thank you for joining us for the program today. Uh, if you're watching us on the video cast, make sure you stay till the end so you can participate in the polling to win a bottle of wine. Uh, if you're on the podcast side, please make sure that you subscribe. We're now available on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere that you get your podcasts. Dennis, what are the principles of the program? Competition. <laughs> Okay, backwards. Wine. S uh, substance. And swag. Okay, completely and totally out of order this time. SSWC is usually what we talk about. Substance, swag, wine, and competition. But he's always looking to try to throw me off. That's, that's your strategy with the wine, too. That is my strategy. I didn't know what your wine was until just a moment ago. when It you was not yours to know. Oh, I guess not. So, so remember, there are two ways to be entered into the contest to win one of these bottles of wine. You can either participate in the polling at the end on the video cast, or just by subscribing uh, to the podcast, we will include you in the, uh, in the bowl from which we select a winner. And we have a winner this week, which we will announce after our uh, special guest. And a fancy bottle of wine will come from Joe Seller. 
Uh, not this week. They're going to come from that fancy new cellar you got down there in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that's something. But uh, anyways, um, let's see. What else have we got to talk about here before we jump into it? Oh, we got that Workplace Strategies news, right? Ah, yes. Yeah. So uh, some exciting news? So I, I'm told that you have some exciting news. Well, that's true. I do. I sort of gave that away a little bit. You ago, did give I? that away. Well, you know, each year we select a charity to recognize as part of our philosophy of giving back to the community as part of the Workplace Strategies program. And, and this year we have a, a very, very worthy cause. Uh, and it builds actually on our discussion last week with your cousin, Daryl Davis. Yes, and, and I'm excited to announce that we have selected Be the Bridge as the charity for Workplace Strategies 2021. Now, this is a, a great organization. They were actually founded in Austin, the site of the program this year, um, and they are currently based in Atlanta. They focus on building authentic relationships and creating a healthy dialogue about racial disparities and injustice. And their goal is to try to close the racial divide in America. The organization aims to equip and inspire people to become interracial bridge builders or ambassadors of racial uh, reconciliation in each of our uh, communities. So you're going to hear at the program uh, more about their mission and their values and their goals. Her name is Latasha Morrison, and she is a very impressive lady, and she will be with us. She's going to come from Atlanta to Austin, and she will be there to address the group on Friday morning at Workplace Strategies, and that's definitely something you won't want to miss. Very exciting, Joe. Very exciting. And I look forward to, uh, to hearing her speak. You know, I took a look at the Be the Bridge website before uh, this program today, and I'll tell you, they're doing some really exciting work, very critical work as well. Yeah, so true, so true. Well, all right, let's get on to our uh, special guest, one of the speakers who will also be joining us in Austin, which, by the way, is just exactly two months from today. All right. Ruthie Goodbow is a shareholder with Ogletree Deacons, who resides in both the Detroit and Pittsburgh offices. She's the co-chair of the firm's traditional labor relations practice group and has handled more than 100 union organizing campaigns. She also assists employers with union-represented employees. Welcome to the podcast, Ruthie. Hey, Ruthie. Nice to see you. Nice to be here. So let's start with a really basic question, Ruthie. Uh, What is a traditional labor lawyer? Well, Dennis, as a traditional labor lawyer, I can tell you I've been called a lot of things. Most of those I would not want to repeat on this podcast. But one of the ways I often describe what we do as traditional labor attorneys is relationship counseling, so to speak. Um, We deal with relationships that are governed by the National Labor Relations Act. That's the federal labor law. So we're dealing with relationships between employers and employees, employers and unions, and even employees and unions. So that means we partner with employers. Um, We work to create uh, sustainable cultures that support a union-free work environment. We assist employers to guide them through representational elections where there may be organizing efforts. Uh, We also help employers to um, stave off and defend, if necessary, unfair labor practice charges. And where employees are represented, Um, Labor lawyers assist with collective bargaining, um, 
strikes, picketing, boycotts, contract management, and arbitration. And one of the things I think a lot of people don't understand is we are often involved in other things, other business operations, such as mergers and acquisitions, talent management and retention, a wide variety of business operations that may trigger either obligations or the need to comply with the National Labor Relations Act. Ruthie, labor law issues have certainly been in the news a lot lately, what with the PRO Act being debated in Washington, D.C., and a very high-profile organizing campaign uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Has this resulted in uh, you all getting more calls from clients these days? So I would say, like, more calls or an uptick is probably an understatement, Joe. Um, In terms of the PRO Act, and that's the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, if it passes whether it's in the current format or in another format, this is going to be a game changer. And I won't get into my personal views about the substance of the legislation, except to say it would completely upend decades of labor law. Um, So whether our listeners, employees are currently represented or not, their eyes, all eyes, at least should be on the Senate right now, what's happening with the PRO Act. For example, just as an update, Uh, Senator Schumer has said that he will bring that bill to the floor if he gets 40 or I'm sorry, 50 co-sponsors. And earlier this week, um, Senator King from Maine and Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, they both signed on as co-sponsors. So that means that there's only three three slots left, so to speak. If three more co-sponsors sign on, the PRO Act is going to come to the floor for the vote. Um, and then all it's, it's all about the filibuster. Um, so it's hard to predict what's going to happen. We've had um, senators say that they're pro-pro-act, but anti-getting rid of the filibuster. So we'll just have to kind of wait and see. But I would just say this, um, all employers, large and small, whether or not that they, they have represented workforces or if they're union-free, and frankly, I think workers should be paying close attention to the PRO Act and other legislation, as well as what's happening at the National Labor Relations Board. Interesting. Most of those in our audience don't have a union in their workplace and would prefer to keep it that way. What would your recommendations be to them? Well, Dennis, this may sound very basic, um, but this is the time to build, if you don't have a good foundation, build relationships or strengthen your relationships with your employees, with your management team, out in the community, within the industry. You know, in terms of your employees, you should be listening to what they're telling you. And maybe it's better to think, better still, to think about what they're not telling you, but they're thinking. Now's the time to be paying very close attention to their needs, to their concerns, and I'll just say it, to their feelings. Um, You know, we've gone through a very traumatic, period of time, and and it's not over yet. Um, Employees, including supervisors, your management team, people are scared about the future. They're anxious about job security. And in some cases, they're still angry about what's happened over the last year. So I think this is really the time to focus on those relationships, build or strengthen your communication, your connections um, at all levels. Find that common ground get people involved, get connected. 
and I, people who've heard me talk before are going to, they're going to recognize this, but don't be afraid of hearing the complaints and even the anger. Um, communication is productive, even when you're listening to things you may not want to hear. And remember, as long as employees are coming to you, communicating with you, even if it's only to complain or to express anger, it means they still trust you. They trust the employer because they're coming to you and they're saying to you, not only do we think you're willing to help us, but you are going to help us. They're not going to an outside third party. And, that, and that's what we want, because when the union comes knocking at the door or they start talking to your employees about us versus them, we want our team to be the us. We want us to all be on one team. So pay attention to your relationships right now. Ruthie, what about those employers that do have unions that they're working with that represent some component of their workforce? Do you have tips or recommendations for those folks? You know, Joe, that's a that's a really great question because I feel like a lot of the coverage and what we're hearing out of the Biden administration in the labor context seems to deal with union organizing and not necessarily or specifically for employers or with employers who already have represented workforces. But employers who already have unions representing some or if not all of their employees may think they've um, avoided the brunt of the anticipated changes, and that's really not necessarily true. Um, as an employer with the union, I'd pay very close attention to decisions that are going to be coming out of the board starting in the fall, and that's when it really will become a Biden National Labor Relations Board, and especially pay attention um, to decisions that relate to the rights employers may have or believe they have under already negotiated and existing collective bargaining agreements. Um, and the reason I say that is we're going to probably go back to an old standard. Um, many may remember the concept, the doctrine of clear and unmistakable waiver. And those days are coming back. And what's that? What does that mean? Well, under, um, under a long-standing um, standard, if the contract language, when examined by the National Labor Relations Board, if the union hadn't unequivocally and specifically expressed the intention to allow an employer to make a change unilaterally, most of the time under that standard, um, there was a continuing obligation on the employer's part to bargain, um, even though there might have been general language in the collective bargaining agreement that said the employer had the right to do certain things. Um, so I would suggest, and I'll just give you a quick example. So under the old standard, that unmistakable waiver standard, which was around until 2019 when it was changed by the Trump board, if your management's rights clause said you had the right to implement, modify, or rescind policies, that only would be applicable to things like attendance policy, drug and alcohol policy, if it specifically said you had the right to change an attendance policy. In 2019, they changed that doctrine and that standard. And so that generalized language gave you the right to make those changes. So without going into any more detail or getting into any more of the weeds, what I tell you to do right now is take a look at your current CBAs and review them objectively. Don't look in there to see what you want to see. 
look in the language of your contracts to see how it might be interpreted under that um, that doctrine of unmistakable waiver. Look at your management's rights, look at dues checkoff, and look at any other provision that up until now you would have interpreted to give you the right to make unilateral changes. And then based on that review, look at your overall bargaining strategy and determine whether you need to make some changes going forward in your next cycle of bargaining. Great tips, Ruthie. You mentioned the National Labor Relations Board, and that reminded me of something I wanted to ask you about. You know, beyond that um, that particular standard that you mentioned, that's applicable more in the already bargain bargaining group, the organized group of employers. You know, all employers now have become more interested in what happens at the board because of the impact uh, of their their rulings. What should they be looking for to come out of a Biden board? So I think the one word that would characterize what to look for on the Biden board is change and a lot of it. Um, I don't think it will be a surprise to anyone that there are going to be some major changes in decisions coming out of the National Labor Relations Board once Biden's nominees are installed. Um, Legislation remains a possibility, but really the more likely avenue for immediate change or quick change in labor law is is at the board. Um, And that's gonna start probably in the fall. We've seen a little bit of that happening already with some things coming out of the acting general counsel, but we're gonna see a reversal of many of the um, Trump board decisions. Um, We're gonna see some new topics addressed as well. And even some things that are covered under the PRO Act. So if they can't get it through legislation, we're gonna see a lot of those things changing um, through board decisions, through the interpretation interpretation of existing law. And some of the subjects I'll just kind of throw out there without going into detail is board jurisdiction, expanding that, you know, does the NLRA cover students, student athletes, religious institutions, agricultural workers? We're certainly going to see a more broad definition of protected concerted activity, which means more activity, more um, employee conduct is going to have greater protection. Um, The definition of employees is going to be expanded, which means there will be less individuals that will be considered independent contractors. Um, Same, similarly, the definition of supervisor is going to be probably going to be narrowed because that means there are more people that will come under the jurisdiction of the act and of the board. We're going to see the undoing of the joint employer rule. We're probably also going to see the restoration of specialty health care and the microunit Rubik. Um, one thing that really concerns me is I think, and this is in the PRO Act as well, but I do believe we're going to see an outlawing of captive audience meetings. And for those of you just to understand, captive audience meetings are mandatory meetings with employees that employers use. It's probably one of their best tools to educate employees during um, an organizational campaign. And even if the PRO Act doesn't pass or that part of the PRO Act doesn't pass, the board could find that these kinds of meetings are just inherently coercive and therefore unlawful. So they may get rid of that. And then the last thing I'll just mention is we should expect the new board to reinstate the right of employees to use um, company email systems, social media platforms, 
and the like for campaign purposes. So a lot of change is going to be coming out of the board. It's hard to predict exactly what and exactly when, but change is coming. That's that's great information. One last one, Ruthie. Uh, Employee expression has been a very hot topic of late. How does federal labor law impact all employees in this difficult area? And I think that's a, a good way to phrase it, Dennis. It will. Federal law does impact all employers, whether you have unionized workers or not. Um, the National Labor Relations um, Act applies. And there's definitely an intersection between labor law and employee expression, especially in the area of social justice advocacy among workers. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, the acting general counsel issued a a GC memorandum, what's called a GC memorandum. That's a document that is circulated among the regional directors and helps them in handling cases and interpreting federal law. And in that memo, the acting general counsel made clear that the right to engage in concerted activity for the mutual aid and protection of coworkers under section seven encompasses employee advocacy even when employees have not explicitly connected their activity to workplace concerns. I think we all know that employees have the right to talk about working conditions, terms and conditions of employment, like wages, like benefits, even to the extent I don't like my supervisor, that's all protected. But in this memo, the general counsel was giving guidance saying, that the law allows and protects in certain circumstances, um, political and justice, uh, social justice advocacy when the subject matter has a direct nexus to the employee's interests as employees. So not a direct nexus necessarily to a specific term or condition of employment, but just an issue that is of concern to employees in general. And that will include social justice um, topics, political expression, and that goes to the whole idea of employee expression. So whether it's a statement on a t-shirt or a comment on a mask or some other type of expression, those types of things are probably going to get more protection under the Biden board than maybe in the past. So I think it's really important at this time and um, at this time that employers, when they're responding to behaviors or actions that are related to employee expression that may be perceived as inappropriate in a workplace setting or maybe contrary to established policies or procedures, that they look at the NLRA and specifically look at Section 7 to make sure that there are no implications there or potential implications before they take any action against that employee um, expression. So it just means a heightened kind of understanding and awareness of what you're doing before you do it. Wow, that's a pretty broad interpretation and uh, certainly something that'll create some challenges uh, for employers and our audience. And uh, employee expression seems like maybe something we ought to have on the workplace strategies agenda. Absolutely need to talk about that. Well, Ruthie, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Thanks Thanks, for having me. See you in Austin. See you in Austin. All right.
That was a great discussion. That very, was very good stuff. Yeah, very in, good stuff. Interesting, interesting. So let me let me ask you a question, um, Dennis. Yeah. So I mean, I know you've consulted on some union organizing mm-hmm. campaigns. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about what's the what's the psychological dynamic that that's working in a campaign like that. I don't know if everyone caught it, but Ruthie mentioned a piece of it. She talked about us versus them. Okay. Very important. Very important. The fact of the matter is. Everybody wants to feel like they, they're in on uh, whatever's going on. They're a part of the us, not the thems. Big, 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 big. So what, so what does that mean for an employer then? I mean, how do they, how do they um, feel that, that, that need, I guess, or you know, so that, that the, the us is us, the, em, the employer and the employees, and not the union and the workers? Two big things, communication and recognition. Think about it. Ask yourself a simple question. Who do you talk to? You talk to people you care about. You talk to people you like. Communication, telling employees what's going on, what the future plans are, what we've done very, very well, uh, what we're coming out of and how we've been successful. Talking, 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 communicating with employees. Big, 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 big. Again, ask yourself, who do you communicate with? People you care about. The second one's recognition. Uh, Making sure that our people understand, we recognize, we value, and we appreciate what you've contributed to this workplace. Quick story, lots of employers have this really, really brief but really important way to let their employees know that they care about them and recognize them. Uh, uh, when you give those little ribbon, ribbons or medals uh, for five years and 10 years, those pins, it's a big, big deal. And employees walk around with a sense of pride. Uh, yeah, I got my 35-year pin, or Joe has his 65-year pin. Uh, there aren't a lot of those around. And so uh, you feel like you're part of something very exclusive. Communication and recognition. That's the way you make your employees uh, want to be on the right team with you. The 65-year pen, that would be pretty exclusive, yes, I think. Yes, it would that be. Would, would that be. would be. i got a ways to go. But it would that, be. That's, I think you'll get there before me. Um, but no, some great, some great tips. And this is definitely a topic. Well, there were probably five topics within that discussion Absolutely. there about union organizing and collective bargaining issues and employee expression. All things that we'll be talking about in Austin in uh, just two months. Well, Dennis, should we uh, talk a little wine? Let's talk a lot of wine. So, uh, first of all, uh, our winner last week was Janine Groot. Congratulations, Janine. You'll get to choose between the wine that uh, Dennis shared, which was? The Stag's Leap Chardonnay. And um, I presented the Together Cabernet. So, you can choose between the Transformative Chardonnay or the... Read from the back of the bottle, Cabernet. Well, yeah, there you go. But uh, but the majority did prefer the together Cabernet. So these it people don't know. We'll be coming know. from uh, Dennis's cellar, or either that, or he'll be buying a bottle of together wine from me. That'll be nice. I'll en- I'll enjoy putting those dollars into my my pocket, or you can mm-hmm. Venmo me one or the other. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, um, I think that our 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 tradition has now become that the loser goes first. So, would you like to uh, talk about your wine? <clears throat> so you know, it's starting to warm up here in Southern California. In fact. I think yesterday was 82 degrees. And uh, when it warms up, I start to think differently. About six or seven years ago, I had a function at my home. And we invited maybe five, maybe six other couples over. And a buddy of mine brought a bottle of wine. He brought a bottle of Artessa Rosé. And uh, I wasn't very familiar with rosés. The rosés of my day were very different. But uh, I read the back of the bottle, and it said that it was made with Pinot Noir grapes. We chilled it. 
and we poured it. We sat out back. It was a warm day, and we sat out back and sipped on it. It was really, really good. Refreshing, not too sweet, not too dry. Artessa. I recommend you try it. Well, that's a, that is a, a great bottle, and you're right. The rosés of your time were very different. That's a rosé of my time, however, you know, <laughs> since you were <laughs> much older than uh, I am. Yeah. And, you know, it was. It was a beautiful weekend here in Southern California, nice and warm, perfect for rosé. However, today, um, it's only going to be like 62 mm. today. And the rest of this week, that's when you want Bella Goss. Pinot. Now, this is a fabulous bottle of wine. It is made by the family that produces Camus. And if you know wine at all, uh, you know about the, the, the Camus Cabernets. They are absolutely fabulous. But this wine is actually named after Lorna Bellagloss Wagner, who is one of the co-founders of Camus Wineries. Now, uh, this, this is a terrific bottle, and, and it's unique, not just in, in the bottle itself, which as you can see is wax capped. Uh, so it makes a beautiful presentation, makes a great gift. Uh, but also the nature of the Pinot is very different than most people expect. A lot of folks are sort of used to maybe more of the Oregon Pinots, which tend to be a little lighter and a little earthier, uh, which some really enjoy and, and some uh, don't. Uh, but this is a big, bold, Camus-like Pinot. So what they would call a California Pinot Noir. So big, jammy, uh, chewy, just like you would expect with uh, Camus. So you can get this beautiful bottle also at a great price, about 30 bucks right now. Uh, that's a third of the price of what it would cost you to get a bottle of Camus. And most importantly, this is Dennis Davis's favorite Pinot Noir. And so I am sure that he would encourage you to vote for the Bella Gloss It Pinot is my Noir. favorite Pinot Noir. I encourage you not to vote for it this week. Rosé. Well, you can't go wrong with either of these. And to uh, have a chance to win one of these two bottles, all you need to do is subscribe to the podcast or vote in the poll right now and help us decide which wine wins or which story, I guess. More which story. Which story wins um, this this week. Well, Dennis, it's been a great show. Great show. We had the opportunity to announce our, our new charity. Absolutely. Be the Bridge is going to be really incredible. It's going to be amazing. And and we'll tell you more about uh, about them and, and what their leader is doing out there. It's, it's impactful. It truly is. It is. It is impactful. So uh, we'll look forward to that. But until then, I'm Joe Beachport. And I'm Dr. Dennis Davis. And this has been Workplace Strategies Update.